Blog Talk Radio. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up a bird, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. With a fresh new song MJ Network will bring you there So let's talk about it When life and on the air Good morning everyone, this is Fran Lewis This is MJ Network MJ after my sister Marcia Joyce And we have the author of African Vengeance. Steve Breaker is here, and this is absolutely fantastic. So let me read you part of the back cover so that you're going to all want to get this when I'm done reading it. It takes place on the Canyon Coast. William Brody longs for a quiet life. Well, poor guy's not going to get one. Although he's still recovering from a recent bout of malaria, the former special services major agrees to help some locals retrieve cargo lost in the ocean depths. I'm not going to tell you more, but this is interesting because this book is told in three parts. And I hope all my questions are in three parts. Good morning. How are you? Where are you calling in from? Good morning. How are you? Um, I'm calling oh, from uh, Kenya in, in East Africa. Good. Oh, <laughs> really? Oh, this is exciting. <laughs> yes, it's 5 o'clock in the evening here. Oh, well, I didn't even realize that. I had no idea because I don't know where everybody is when I call when they when they're here. No wonder you named the of book course. after that. So how did you decide? Um, the first scenes really got me. Let me tell you. Um, it took me for a while to read this, but I, I think I've got it in. I think I have a lot of too many questions, but we'll see. Part one, you, you created scenes with removing precious gold ore. How did you do that, and how did you create the gold? That was exciting. Um, the, the gold, I was very lucky. My brother, Daniel, is a geologist and I was uh, hunting around looking for storylines and I was actually in the town where where the story takes place Tanga in in Tanzania and uh, I noticed that there were still um, shops in the town that uh, looked at ore and uh, measured to see what quality of ore was in the stones and I followed it up with my brother and um, Mm. we found that uh, there's a large amount of green stone in that area, which uh, holds mm. quite a lot of precious metal. And, and uh, so it kind of gave me a hook for, for the beginning of the story. Um, authors ori- only need sort of a, a, a little hook to get going. It's original, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I, I won't tell you how many <laughs> books I've read, and this is like, got me. <laughs> so, oh, my God. Oh, good. I'm glad. I mean, usually when a book is like close to 700 pages, I go like, oh, my God, why are they doing this to me? But you know what? I literally read it in two days. Usually I read it in one, but I, didn't, I wanted to make sure that I got it. So this is the other thing that, that got me. Why did they mistreat the workers, and who are the people involved? Um, in the in the in that part of the book, the setting mm-hmm. is the, the beginning of the First World yeah. War, so the, the early 1800s. And at that point in time, uh, Tanzania was called Tanganyika, 
and was a mm -hmm. colonial uh, power from the Germans. Now, the Germans, like, like all colonial powers, weren't very nice to the, uh, the local population. They treated them almost like subhuman at that time. And so I, I'd read a lot up on the area. And as I said, I live in Kenya anyway, so I've studied the history. Mm -hmm. and, um, and they were treated in a very terrible way. And I wanted to point that out because um, we get a lot of uh, information about, you know, how the colonial uh, things helped the countries and this and that. But you've got to show the other side of the story as well. You know something, I so agree with you, because so many times we don't get the other side of the story. And, that, and that's not fair either. And they don't even get exactly. both sides of the people. Yeah, that bothers me. bothers me with a lot of things that I've listened to about in the news lately, too. So tell yes. us about Albrecht and his role. What was he supposed to do? And how did you create the battle? I was getting nervous. This is really like you could actually feel things happening. Yes, there's several things happening there. Um, I had to get the gold uh, to be lost for my story. Mm. Uh, so um, I researched German submarines, and it was very interesting to find that they were being made and launched in the First World War, even though there was no sonar or anything. So when they went below the waves, they had to dead reckon where they were going with, with navigation, which must have been terrifying. So I introduced my German submarine, and um, the corvette captain, Eric, is um, given the job by uh, Kaiser Wilhelm, who was the Kaiser uh, in the First World War, the, the, the boss of Germany during the First World War. And he had to drive his um, submarine all the way down to the colonial area of uh, Tanganyika, past the British ports of Mombasa. Um, so, so his part is to, to get there. And then the actual battle is a battle that actually happened. It's called the Battle of the Bees. And it, it, it actually happened between the British and the Germans. And it was very unusual in that it was a battle between two colonial powers. Normally when, when mm. um, people went to war, they didn't mess with their colonial places. They left them alone. But in this instance, the British had decided they wanted to take over Tanzania. So there was a big battle called the Battle of the Bees where both sides started mm. their war and fighting. And strangely enough, they, they, they really upset a huge population of local bees. Mm. And the bees stung both sides. And so both sides retreated and left the town completely empty which gave the time for the Germans to come back in and take it all back again. But it's, um, it's, it's on the Internet. If you Google the Battle of the Bees, you, you'll uh, find some really interesting uh, information about it. I did read the information, and every time they got stung, I felt I got, I've gotten stung by bees. That is, oh, my God. That is, that is so painful. It's horrible, isn't it? I, yeah. yeah, not only yeah. that, my arm blew up, and I didn't realize I was allergic to to yellow jacks. So it's like, oh my god, on the way to the ER to get something, <laughs> you, you just don't know. Yeah, it was like you just that's don't like know. scary. No, you can get anaphylactic shock. Yeah, yeah, I, I didn't even realize scary. it. I happened to put my hand on down on something, go like, oh my god, what is that? So, who is Eric, and why did they need him to take his U-boat on a mission that was dangerous? And who else was involved? Almost done with part one. 
Yes, well, Eric, Eric was the corvette captain who bought the submarine, and he was uh, yeah. told to collect the gold from the port, and he had to sneak in because the port was being uh, blockaded by the British warship. So he managed to sneak in, and then he appears in Tanga Port, and then most of the gold is loaded onto the onto the submarine, and then he's he has to try and make his escape. But as I said before. When a, when a First World War submarine was underwater, they had no sonar, so they had to dead reckon in their direction mm. and their depth and everything, which was incredibly difficult. So I can't say much more around that, or I'll give you a spoiler. <laughs> no, we, don't, we can't tell everybody. This is really, I mean, this is one of those books that's, oh, my God. But what happens at first, and what role did here, how do you pronounce his name, Curvetten Capitan play? What did he do? Well, he was in charge of the submarine, and he mm-hmm. uh, was supposed to pick up the, the gold. And he did pick up the gold from the wharf, and then he was in charge of trying to get it back to Germany. That was his main role in uh, yeah. in the book. So I don't want to give away too much in part one. So what happened? They they found, I was like, oh, my God, look what they found at the bottom of the ocean. That was outrageous. How did they, where did it wind up? I'm not going to say what it is. The gold. Because when you read it, like you're going to say, oh, my God. So where did it wind up? What happened to it? What happened to which particular thing? The $10 million. <laughs> <laughs> is that in the first section? Yeah. In the, in I don't the know why. It's a, I don't know why I have it in the book. So let's go to the second part. The guy that I really liked is Brody. What's his backstory? And I felt so bad for him because he was recuperating from malaria, but they weren't going to let him get better. No, that's the, that's the problem with these heroes. They, they always have to find yeah, some I more like trouble. I like this guy. <laughs> <laughs> Brody is a, an ex uh, an ex special boat service uh, cur- colonel who um, who spent a lot of time going on missions and working as a, working with the Royal Marines, the Navy Royal Marines, all over the world, uh, fighting in different conflicts. Then um, one of his one of his um, times when he's out working for the Navy. He has to go and arrest uh, uh, mm. a man in uh, Somalia, and then he goes into some some terrible situations, which is in one mm. of the earlier books, African Slaver. And from there, he decide he gets very disillusioned, and he leaves the army, the Royal Marines, and the Special Boat Service, and he decides he just wants a peaceful life, living on the coast of Africa, diving. Swimming, spear fishing, drinking some beer, laying on the beach, mm-hmm. living the dream. So that, that's that's where he comes from. Well, then he sort of gets into a situation, mm-hmm. and I wondered about yeah. this person. How does he make meet Wanajiku? How does he meet her? And who is her son? And Gumbo, Gumbo. So Gumbau. how does he yes, meet her? My lovely African names. <laughs> Wanjiku yeah. is there from an earlier book. He meets he meets her in a book called African Paradise, mm-hmm. and they become friends in that book where she uh, helps him um, get used mm-hmm. to life in Africa. Uh, she's a young lady. She's a bit of a hustler, 
and she lives in mm-hmm. a town called Matwapa, which is on the coast mm-hmm. of uh, Kenya. Um, and that he met her and her family just through uh, generally getting used to living, and he has a bit of an adventure with her in an earlier book. So I brought mm-hmm. her back for, to this book because I thought she was such a wonderful character. She's a nice, strong African woman who's living, mm-hmm. hustling as they do here, making her way through life and enjoying herself at the same time. Then Hassan is uh, one of Brody's crew members. They're more of a friendship group than a crew. No one's really the captain. Uh, they each have their specialist mm. uh, duties. Hassan is the best man in the ocean. He's a, a pure Swahili. He comes from Pemba, and he's been living in boats since uh, he was a few days old. Now, he's, he's a very, very strict Muslim guy. He believes in all of the right things and, uh, you know, uh, dressing properly and being good and being nice and being a pure, good Muslim. On the other hand, I have my friend Gumbao. Mm-hmm. Now, Gumbao is, um, is a bit of a free-living a free person. He likes to drink, he likes to smoke, he likes mm. to gamble. Um, and in, in the town where I set a lot of this story, which is Matwapa, it's one of our frontier towns to, uh, for people heading to Somalia and the Sudan. So it's quite a wild place with a lot of uh, truck drivers stopping and um, there's lots of bars and nightclubs and this kind of thing mm. on the street. It's sort of a 24-hour town. So Gumbao, often when, they're st- when they come to a town, Gumbao gets lost in the town and ends up playing checkers or he ends up in prison or mm. whatever. You know, he's sort of one of those, uh, he lives for today, shall we say. I, I just, I don't know. I like the, that was a good but you know, but I, I don't swim. I get nervous. Oh, forget it. Underwater? Never mind. Not me. I was lucky I ever learned <laughs> to swim at all. So how did you describe the underwater scenes and what research did you do into diving that made it so realistic? I felt like I was under the water with them. Oh, I'm very happy you felt that. That's wonderful. Um, I've been a scuba diver for in excess of 20 years now, showing my age there. Um, Never mind. I trained, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I trained as a scuba diver and became a, a paddy open water scuba diver instructor. So I've dived along the coast of Kenya. I've done well over a thousand dives with uh, tourists and some commercial diving. Um, and so I, I know the coasts and I've dived and dived and dived. One thing I can talk about <laughs> until your ears fall mm. off is diving. <laughs> so, mm. so I was able to bring that into the story because uh, I do love, I, I still dive now. I was diving last weekend. Mm. Uh, I, I, I still love to do it all the time. So I was, I'm very lucky in the fact that I live in a place that has warm water and still some very beautiful coral reefs to dive on. You know what I think? I don't think enough people know enough about Kenya and Africa. And I, they, they just hear what they hear on the news. But they don't get to appreciate it for what that really is. That's what bothers me. And as an educator, I mean, you try to broaden the horizons of kids, but today I don't think they're learning very much of anything with this horrible pandemic. It's really sad that they can't even It is really sad. I try to bring that out in my books. I do try and on my website, uh, and I have a blog which describes African stories and things about Africa, Mm. because I agree with you. There's so much here to be seen and enjoyed, 
and so few people come to do that. I know they have this misconception about a lot of things, and it's really sad. But I know that I'm glad you told yes. me that because my nephew loves to learn stuff. My, my nephew loves to learn stuff about that, and he's nine, going on seventeen, I think. <laughs> so <laughs> tell us, yeah, he's 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 his aunt's nephew. Yep, that's it. Tell yes. us about Lovely. the, the shukran and what Brody used it for. Shukran in uh, Swahili, in high Swahili, means thank you. We have two ways mm-hmm. of saying thank you. One is asante, which everybody knows if they've watched mm-hmm. uh, The Lion King. And the other one is shukran, which, which also means thank you. But it means in what we say a higher Swahili. Now, Brody was able to um, help some people in an earlier book. And uh, because of the help that he gave them, <clears throat> they, they found an old Tao and they gave him the Tao for him to renovate. And so it's called Shukran because they were saying thank you to him for, for, for doing what he did in, in uh, the book African Treasure mm. or African Slaver. Now, Brody just likes to, to sail up and down the coast in his Tao. He looks after it like, uh, like it's mm. his firstborn child. He keeps it be- in beautiful condition, and he's always trying to make it better. Um, and he sails along the coast here in East Africa, uh, from Tanzania all the way up to the edge of Somalia. And just really, he just enjoys himself. Basically, as, uh, in African Vengeance, he's out diving and spearfishing and just thoroughly enjoying the ocean, which is really all he's ever trying to do. <laughs> Well, the cover brings it to life. But I said the only thing I was missing were the pictures. <laughs> I was like, can I have pictures yes. of what you're doing? They would have, that would have, <laughs> really would have been amazing. But the cover says it all. You could see it. You could see them on that boat. But Fantastic. What are, what are Jumbaroons? And why did um, he wanted to teach one to, to swim, but she had to bring somebody with her. She couldn't come by herself. She had to bring a friend. <clears throat> Jumba Ruins is a, an old um, Swahili settlement from mm-hmm. the days when the Portuguese were along the coast of, of Kenya. It's still just uh, some beautiful ruins in a forest on the beach, which is uh, on the coast of Kenya here. And uh, you can still visit the ruins. It's a national site uh, run by the Kenya, Kenya um, Museums. And uh, there's still a working well there, and there's still some buildings there for you to visit. And you're very lucky you can walk through the ruins to the beach. And I put a restaurant on the beach because I wanted to have a reason for Brody to go and enjoy himself. So the Jumba Ruins is is an actual historical site that exists, and Mm -hmm. if people come to Kenya, they can go and visit it. It's lovely. Now, uh, Wanjiku is playing a bit of a game with Brody, learning to swim. She's, she's trying to catch him mm-hmm. because she, she, uh, she's quite attracted to him. And so she, um, she, she's happy for him to pretend to, to teach her to swim. Uh, she, really, it's uh, her trying to get a date with Brody because Brody is trying to be sort mm-hmm. of uh, on his own just living in the ocean, no attachments, mm. no connections, just, just living mm. a, a free and easy life. And as a hustler, Wanjiko always wants to try and make a little bit extra out of everything. So she wants to bring her friend along to, uh, to uh, enjoy the day as well at, at Brody's expense. 
So really, um, she, she's uh, she's just hustling him a little bit, as she always does. She's always <laughs> she's a born hustler, Wanjiko, and she's always <laughs> doing, doing something like to her. make a few dollars here and there. Yes, yes, so do I, actually. She's grown yeah, into a wonderful to, character in African Vengeance. She's not a mamby yes, pamby thing. Yes, she you doesn't do. mind. So the other thing that exactly, got yeah. me is that the, they had the fishing scenes, but how does the weather create fear? Sometimes just the weather itself can put some fear in you, and you wonder what's going to happen. Absolutely. Here along the coast, we're on the very, very edge of the the big um, swirling, what you call hurricanes down in, in America. And we call them typhoons down here, I think. Now, we're right on the edge of them. And the season that um, we're talking about here in African Vengeance was uh, the se- our cold season where the winds blow up from the south, which is called the Kusi, the Kusi monsoon. Now, uh, during that season, we can have some terrible weather blow up very, very mm. quickly. And um, in a wooden boat with just a sail and an engine, it's not like a modern boat. It, it can't just drive straight through the waves. It, you know, it can, be, uh, it can be sunk quite easily. So um, Brody... It wants to go diving and they do some fishing and uh, and uh, they catch a fish but the weather catches them out and then Hassan has to step in and do his best to try and save them mm. so we're going to part three people this is the most exciting part I got part three <laughs> we meet right, the pilot. okay brilliant I don't know how I did this and the wait, but there's a, there's a, there's, I don't even want to tell you how many questions I have for part three. We'll see. <laughs> so we meet the pilot and a passenger whose goal, the goal is to deliver what is in several bags. Hmm. So who is Sadisa uh-huh. and what is, what is his, what is the job? Um, we're not going to say what's in the bag, but, and why autopilot? Well, what he what he is he's, a, he's one of these pilots in uh, who flies between the islands in um, off the coast of East Africa between Seychelles, Madagascar, um, and um, and a few other islands down the coast. And what he does basically, he's a little bit on the edge. He transfers stuff around because our our mm-hmm. coastline here has no coast guard. We have very little air traffic controllers. You can drive out in your boat into the ocean and go to another country, which Brody does all the time. Or you can mm. fly maybe contraband stuff in and out of the country. So he's tasked with trying to get the parcels from the Seychelles into Kenya, which is some 1,000, over 1,000 miles, nautical miles. So he has to use his autopilot because uh, he can't fly all that way. He'd be too tired. So once he's up in the sky... And flying along, he flicks a switch and the aeroplane manages to stay on course as long as um, everything stays stays the same. In, in his case, mm-hmm. the weather changes. So what does the passenger tell him and how does the storm take it away? And explain how you create those scenes. Like I said, I, I, the storm was like I, I wanted to crawl into something to get warm and just not, not with all the winds and everything. Those electric storms here are quite frightening. They're wow. amazing sometimes. Um, the passenger just tells him he's got to get to the where he's got to go or sort of die trying, unfortunately. 
because um, the the big bosses who paid for his uh, paid for the airplane flight are very demanding people. Now I, I took the storm just from um, uh, information I read uh, and Googled mm. on on electric storms around this area, mm. and they can be very very severe. So um, I I really took that and just put my imagination into it, and then I read about uh, several articles on how airplanes are damaged in storms and how they can uh, how mm. they can have problems and. I just took my imagination and uh, let myself go. <laughs> that's, that's amazing because weather is so unpredictable and you can't control it. You don't know what is going to happen. I mean, the other day I walked exactly. outside and the sun was shining and all of a sudden I got soaked from the rain. I was like, how dare you? Exactly. Out of nowhere. <laughs> I know. We've had some very strange weather. Uh, two days ago it was like 60 and right now it's minus something or other. Up, up in oh New my York. lord! I'm sorry for you. Yeah, wow, well, you cold. know, it's real. It's it's cold, but you know what? It's okay. At least it's not snowing. That does help. So okay. Who is Jabali, and why is he blamed for what happened on the plane? And who is I don't know, Berberitzi? So how, how, and why does he threaten Jabali? Jabali uh, works for Colonel Imberitium. Colonel Imberitium is my um, evil protagonist in the whole whole show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jabali works for him. Jabali um, happens to uh, be able to be quite good with computers. Mm. So um, he was employed by the by the colonel to ensure that they knew where these packages were at all times because the colonel is also under threat from higher up in, in the food chain. So uh, he, he places bugs on the parcels so he can track them with the GPS machine and make sure he knows where they are all the time. Now, Mberizzi is not a very nice man, and he uh, doesn't care about Jabali or Jabali's family. All he cares about is getting these parcels. So he threatens Jabali and, and tells him that uh, he has to make mm. sure that the parcels are delivered or, or his life or his family's life are, are on the line, which uh, unfortunately, you know, there, there are bad people everywhere in the world. Mm. That's scary. So how is he going to find the missing bags and suitcases? Because that's very vital. We won't tell them why, but yeah. Exactly, and he, he's fretting a lot mm-hmm. because uh, his life is on the line here yeah. for, for the suitcases and also his family's too because uh, Colonel Imberizzi is, is an evil man. So um, he knows they're in the ocean, but he doesn't really understand the ocean very well because he's a city boy. He lives in Mombasa City. So he, he has to figure out ways to actually try and look in the ocean. Uh, and he finds his friend on, on the... Uh, in Mombasa Old Town, a fisherman. Mm. Uh, and the fisherman tries to help him a little bit, but says to him, look, it's almost impossible to find something in the ocean once it's dropped. You know, you, it's very, very difficult because there are there are currents under the water and wind and waves and you, you know, think, and then you can't see very far underwater because of the, of the visibility. So it's very difficult to search. But 
Jabali is crying. He really needs to find this, uh, these packages. So that brings in the, the, the next person, uh, Bahati. Bahati so, is a diver in the port. Sometimes the bad guys are interesting, though. Not always, but sometimes. Yes. So how yes. does Brody get involved? I don't know if he should have. Why does he think he can help? And who is Bahati? He's risking his own Bahati life to do this, too. Yes, yes. Bahati helps him to look for the, uh, for the bags first, but they, they have no luck because it's almost mm-hmm. impossible to find things underwater. But then they're, they're in the bar where, where Wanjiko is, and they, um, Wanjiko overhears them, and she knows that Brody loves going in the ocean, and he has some fancy machines on his boat to see, the, see where the fish are and depth sounders to look under the water. So again, in her normal hustle way, she thinks she can make a few dollars, and uh, she introduces them, Jabali and Bahati to uh, to Brody to try and try and help them find the suitcases. That is amazing, but this book weighs more than I do every time I look through it. <laughs> so, <laughs> my mother says that she says she falls I'm, asleep I'm a little, and it falls on I'm her little, nose. It's like the book the book weighs a lot. Let me tell you. <laughs> so, who does Jabali ask for help first, and what happens? And then he meets Brody through, and then yeah, then he meets Brody through Wanjika. And what what deal does she make? She's cool. Wanjiko's cool all the way through. She um she wants to make a few hundred dollars, so she tells Jabali that uh, yeah, we can go out in the boat, and yes, I'll help you find your your parcels, but it's going to cost you some money. Mm. Uh, and Brody doesn't know this because she says it all in Swahili, and Brody doesn't understand the language very well. So, um, so she manages to make a deal uh, to make quite a lot of money for Kenya by uh, her and her friend Brody going out and looking for these parcels. So, what happens when Jabali tells his boss about Brody? How does that go down? And what happens that, that, if he doesn't get another, the money? If he doesn't find it? Well, again, his neck is on the line if he doesn't find yeah, it. Yeah, I know. He's in serious trouble. Uh, and his boss is a really, is a really evil, evil man. Um, and he, he has, he's like a, a, a king in Mombasa because he can, he's taken over the town and he's taken over everywhere. Um, the port, and he's taken over lots of areas. So he's he's like a, a high-style gangster, but he's a member of the government, mm. so as a soldier, which makes him very, very dangerous. So Jabali's going to get in lots and lots of trouble, and he tells him straight that uh, if mm. if he doesn't if he doesn't come up with the cash, then uh, he's in deep trouble. That that is that is scary. And at that point, I'm surprised he didn't just say too bad, but. Yeah, yeah, I guess he had a deal. So why not go to law enforcement? And who is for us? Why don't they go to the police? They couldn't? But they wouldn't believe him? Well, here the police are in the pocket of the Mbarizi. That's Mbarizi what I thought. runs the police. Yeah. Yeah. Kenya is still a, a country where we have quite a lot of corruption. That's so, scary. So uh, it is scary. So um, Mbarizi controls the police. He controls the prison forces. He controls all of the local soldiers. 
So he's, he's quite a, a person to be reckoned with. Now, Frost is an old friend uh, of Brody's that they used mm. to um, work together in Uganda many years ago when he was in the army. And they used to do humanitarian work there, him as the special forces, Brody in the special, special boat service, and uh, Frost working for the United Nations. But unfortunately, Frost uh, sees money on the other side of the street and leaves the United Nations and starts working for the people who are smuggling things out to the, uh, to the so-called freedom fighters of that time. Mm. Well, who are the Ugandan freedom fighters? What about them? Well, the one, the one that I pick in, in the story is called Joseph mm. Kony. He was mm-hmm. a real man. Uh, he's still supposedly alive somewhere, but nobody knows where. He's he's still being mm. he's still on the um, Interpol's most wanted list, and he started something called the Lord's Resistance Army. I called it something different. I called it the Christian Army because I didn't want to uh, just just mm-hmm. plagiarise um, the story. But the, a- the actual Coney was and still is a man who was uh, fighting Museveni, who's still the uh, president of uh, Uganda trying to uh, take over the country. But he was very brutal, and he had a lot of child soldiers, and he did a lot of terrible things in in, uh, northern Uganda, which is still remembered today. Again, if you Google Google it's not much different. It's horrible. It's absolutely terrible, yes. I'm shocked that these things can still happen. It's... It's absolutely mind-blowing, isn't it, what's happening in Ukraine? It, what's really mind-boggling is that the president of Russia actually thinks he's justified in doing it. That's what's even scarier, that he, that he yes. just, you know, that, and, and what he's doing is so wrong, and those poor people, you know, every time somebody gets out, you pray for them, seriously. By the time he gets absolutely. over and decides what's going to happen to the country, there's not going to be any country left. It's destroyed. That's even worse. So exactly, who, who and how's Dave? he going to rebuild it? If he yeah, sorry, he, you know what? Dave, Dave, is, Dave is a sorry. Yeah, yeah, Dave is an old friend of Brody's from his soldier days, yeah. and he crops yeah. up every now and again when Dave is really stuck, when Brody's really stuck, and he needs some help. So he, he rings mm-hmm. up Dave, his mate. In in African Vengeance, uh, we flash back to uh, mm-hmm. when they were on patrol in Uganda. Yeah, and uh, Dave is like a, a sensible soldier you know he's a sergeant he's a bit below Brody in the ranks but he's wiser in his years and uh, he he tends to keep Brody on when there's when Brody's a soldier into the in the straight and narrow and not to do too many silly things a good sergeant in the army now this scene really got me forget I would never do this then we meet Gabriel, Barry, and Gab, and they go into the caves and they hear voices and they see a ritual. Why and how would he want to be down there in the cave? And how would that solve the problem? But for who? How did you create that? It's Gabriel like, oh my is, God. Yeah, Gabriel is uh, based on someone I met when I, when I was oh God. in uh, Somalia one time. Yeah. He's a, like the, in oh Africa, God. we have quite a lot of people like adventurers still and treasure hunters. Uh, and he's loosely based on a, on a friend of mine. And uh, he's always looking for ideas. He's always full of great ideas. And in this one, Gabrielle was uh, 
had been researching the Second World War, the First World War trenches, excuse me, and the mm. Battle of the Bees and things like that, and been looking around. And he was fortunate enough to be offered to go and have a look at these Gamboni caves, uh, where he has a look around. And there's a there's an old story about Gamboni caves, which is re- which I've heard when I visited the caves, which uh, was several many years ago. Uh, two Westerner explorers entered the caves and climbed inside the limestone caves, and they took their dog. Mm. And then, like three weeks later, the dog was found, but the, the explorers were never ever seen again. So mm. Gabriel hears this story and it intrigues him, and he thinks because he's a bit of an explorer, mm. and he thinks he'll he'll have a have a hunt around and see if he can get a TV documentary or maybe some sort of money mm-hmm. from something to to help to to do a project and have a look at the caves. Also, the caves are used by uh, what we call magangas, which are witch doctors. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and Gabriel actually comes across a ritual going on uh, and has to step in and um, try and help, help the person who's uh, at the unfortunate brunt end of what the witch doctors want to happen. So he has quite an adventure. Inside Gab- Gamboni Caves again is a real place I visited and been inside the caves. It's a lovely place in in Tanga. It, it's a really nice place to see, most tourist place. That's why we need the pictures in the book <laughs> before I forget. Yeah. <laughs> yep. On Wednesday, Lee Matthew Goldberg vanish me. On the thirty first, I'm doing something very different. Former FBI agent Michael Tabman and I are going to take on what's in the news. Anything that he wants to talk about that's in the news, including vaccinations and how people feel about it, we're going to talk about it, because why not? On the 4th, we have the author of Paradise Cove. On the 7th, we have something really which is fit with this book. Um, We're going to talk about settings of books and how some of the settings in the book lead to educational sites that people can learn from. I thought that would be different. And on the 14th, the author of Virtues and Vices, Vices and Virtues, on the 19th, Charles Salzburg, on the 21st, um, One Will Too Many. And I'm very excited, on the 26th, New York Times author, Janie Ann Kranz, has asked for an interview with me. And that'll be a first. I'm really excited. So that's just yeah. some of what's coming up this month. Next month, you wouldn't, me, you wouldn't believe. So why tell, who is Zeke? And why why tell Zeke, and why was he with him, and who can he trust? Zeke is the man from um, Zeke Frost. He's the same guy that mm-hmm. they met yeah. in Uganda. Uh, so his backstory is a good guy that then saw the money and went bad. Now he's now he's mixed up with uh, Colonel Imbarizi, uh, still doing the the bad things that they were doing before, smuggling and whatever to make money. Uh, so Zeke, once Brody has uh, been forced into this uh, ch- into this chase to try and find find the money, uh, Zeke is teamed up with him by by Colonel Ambrosi to make sure that Brody stays on the straight and narrow and uh, mm. does everything that Ambrosi wants him to do. He's brave. Let me tell you. So this is interesting. How did the photos and a simple news clip tell them about 1914 
and the gold mine. Is that was that a real really event? Uh, the, no, the gold mine is not a real event. But what it what it was was uh, I've yeah. been to the museum in Tanga, which is a lovely museum. Mm-hmm. It's full of it's like I depict in the book. It's full of um, old black and white photos and pictures of the times gone by. And I was in there walking around uh, researching for this book and uh, thinking about ways to introduce it because I thought it was such mm. a lovely building and such a lovely place. Mm. Uh, and the town as a whole, I, I thought, was, you know, it's like a place a bit lost in time, you know. It, it's still a little bit, uh, it's still a little bit old-fashioned uh, and a lot of the older buildings are still there. So I, I, I used my imagination and, and I, I Googled some photographs and I, I looked at the photographs on the walls in, in the museum and sort of uh, tied everything together as us authors are meant to do. Well, let me tell you, this is like heart-stopping, especially that last scene that we'll get to later. So how did you connect the past and the present to bring the crates and the fire from the first part of the book to the present? And why did Johan have those photos and documents to start with? That was really cool because I said, whoa, didn't that happen? Because I I went back to the first part and said, wait a minute, that's just from the first and the second, first and third part. They sort of like connected them. How did you do that? Well, I I do a plan for a book once once I get going. (laughs) Uh, But um, (laughs) I I created my character, Johan, who... um, Runs the uh, the hotel in in um, mm. in Tanga. I liked him. Which is still there. He's a nice guy, a very nice guy, yeah. a descendant, a sort of descendant from the times when the colonial mm. Germans ran the ran the property. And he's him and his family sort of happened into getting hold of the hotel for free. But he's a history buff, and he loves all of the history about. Uh, Tanzania and Tanganyika when it was Tanganyika and how it's developed and he's a collector of all of the photographs and documents that he can find and he has them posted on all of his walls in his in his hotel now Gabriel once he comes once Gabriel starts to get interested in uh, the possibility of of the crates and what happened and where it all came from and how he can find more of the crates so he's he's he quizzes Johan and then he starts digging through the books and he starts digging through the photographs and then he comes across luckily mm. a few of the photographs which lead him mm. to an idea of what might have happened. And uh, he, it, this sort of develops uh, as they, they continue the search. Uh, but uh, basically it's like a bit of research. They They spend some time going through the records, going through the archives that Johan has collected mm-hmm. over the years and uh, come up with, with a possibility of a plan. This plan gave me question. If I got, forget if I was under the water like that, forget that. Oh, my God. This was really like... <laughs> You're not a water fan. Oh, no, you know, it's funny. I did learn to swim because I had no choice. And my mother said you can learn. My, my mother said something that was like, forget it. You just did it. But then I had a bad experience in water, and I said, forget that. So I used to just put my feet in. No problem. I, I, but I, I was into That's sports and stuff like that. <laughs> so forget about water. Basketball, volleyball, and <laughs> kickball and all that stuff, that was me. So That's great. Explain, Sounds like my daughters. Yeah, I did actually, and I'm little. I'm only 5 feet tall. I weigh like nothing. 
But for some reason, I was really was good, good at basketball. girls' basketball, and, and I was able to get three pointers. I don't know how I did it, but I did. And it was fun. Yeah, it was a lot amazing. of fun. Yeah. That's what I yeah, did, I too. Yeah. So explain how they worked in the water and under the sub and the dangers. How did the rocks they found help with the gold and the wire processing plant? Um, they, they used what's called uh, rebreathers, which mm. is a special scuba diving equipment which allows you to spend a lot longer underwater and at greater depths. Mm. Now, Brody is from the Special Boat Service, so he's a very highly trained diver who, who works in the water and on boats all the time. So um, they were able to get this dive equipment because Tanga is being used for a lot of uh, mm. oil exploration, oil and gas exploration. So they were able to get hold of the equipment. Now, they, they were in a lot of danger because underneath the water at those depths, you can only stay off for a very short period of time. Um, it's only a maximum of about 15 or 20 minutes, depending on the depth. Wow. Or you get nitrogen narcosis and you can mm. die. But Brody has to get some things done and, and get some wires in place, uh, and he has to push his limits to the absolute maximum. So he puts himself into a lot of danger to actually finalize this. And he has to do all this because he's very worried that uh, Wanjiku and Hassan are going to be killed and lost, and so he's under a lot of pressure. So uh, it's always in the back of his head that he's got to try and save his friends. So he pushes the limits, which is very, very dangerous, with diving. And uh, almost, almost kills himself. Well, we can't have that because he's a character in this book. And I take it there's going to be more. Yeah. He's not done yet. Yeah, yeah, he needs in that the next out. one. Yeah, so he has to. <laughs> That's what I figured. <laughs> Why were they betrayed so often? I know. And how is gold processed? So I'm not going to tell anybody if they found it, but I was like getting, oh, my God, are they going to ever get that stuff out of there? Is it going to be there forever? What are they going to do with it? It was very clever. So what happens to Hassan and Wanchigo, the girl, and how did they? How, how would they be trained every single time they try to do something? I know. It's terrible, isn't it? I had to keep them being I know. betrayed. I know. I to smack because, a few uh, heads. They, they, really? <laughs> <laughs> Brody in this one is I, I, I wanted to bring out um, me power in this one I really wanted Wanjiko mm -hmm. and the ladies to be strong female mm -hmm. characters um, I fell in love with Wanjiko when she started doing her, her things and standing up for herself and I wanted to carry that forward so to do that I, I, I made Brody make a few mistakes that he shouldn't have made and uh, that's why they, they, get, um, they get in so much trouble because Brody keeps doing things and he's not doing them very well. But the reason I push that mm. forward is because I want Wanjiko to do very well. And she comes out, as, as in my opinion, <laughs> as the hero <laughs> or one of the, one of the big heroes of the plot. Well, I just noticed the book is in front of me. It doesn't want to leave me. That I, I have the first chapter of the next book, right? Is that in there? It's in the back. No, it isn't because I haven't, I haven't, I hadn't written it by then. I'm writing it now. I know it's weird. <laughs> it's an African, it, tre must be African treasure. It must be something that came first because it's it's definitely yes, in, yes. in this in this book. That's because I read all of it. Yes. That just proves people I read. <laughs> so, <laughs> how did you create the the final confrontations, and who is Tabitha? 
Um, the final confrontations were very difficult because I didn't want the yeah. book to finish as I as as I thought it would because I was thinking uh-huh. about my reader, and I wanted to give them a bit of a surprise at the end because. Uh-huh. My initial ending was they drive the boat back to Matwapa and they go and confront Colonel Mbrizi in the prison, which is set in the earlier part of the book. But then I didn't want to do that because I felt that that was, like, expected. So I had to bring everyone together. So I had to get Hassan and uh, Hassan and Wanjiko all the way down to mm. Tanga, which was quite an enjoyable chapter to write. Mm. Um, and they have some full-on adventures and uh, do some fantastic stuff. And Wanjiko really starts coming together and coming out of it herself. And I had to get her into Tanga, and I had to get Colonel Mbarizi to Tanga as well. So he just gets uh, very frustrated, and he has to make a decision to um, to go and, and and get Brody and get everything and uh, sort the problem out because so, he, needs, he needs to get the gold quick. Um, but he's leaving the country, so he's putting himself in a very weak position because he's very, very mm. strong in Kenya. But if he crosses the border, he's very, very weak. Now, Tabitha was a lovely lady I created um, to mm. be the to be the boss of the processing plant. Now, she's a very strong um, white lady living in Africa, and there's some very strong ladies here. And she runs the processing plant with her father. But her and mm. Gabriel sort of have a have a little bit of a... They look at each other and see similar mm. characters and, and a spark there. So they, uh, she, she, likes, she likes Gabriel because um, he is a bit of a ladies' man. But um, she, she takes a liking to him. That's why she sort of comes in in the end uh, and uh, wants, to, wants to help them save the day. So what happens if they've... Let's say for arguments, say we're not going to say what they do, and they get the money and they get the they get all the gold and whatever. Who gets it? Well, what ha- well, the gold is um, I, I, <laughs> without a spoiler in it. The gold the yeah. gold ends up in the right hands. Let's, <laughs> let's oh, okay. say that. Yeah, Brody never Brody never wants to uh, get rich. Brody just wants a peaceful mm. life. Living on the ocean, fishing, diving, eating his fish, eating, drinking coconuts. That's what Brody wants. He never does any of this to get rich. Um, but He's gonna... the, the money, at, at the end of the story, the money seems to manage in a twisted roundabout way to find its way to the right places. I hope, anyway. That, that's how I wrote well, it. Well, I'm not going to say what. But what happens to Brody? Does he get hurt at the end? Brody gets pretty beaten up, yeah, during it. Yeah. All. But it, Colonel Umbrizi gets worse. That's really sad. But um, that's sad. So before we go, who is Maria? She's part of. She's at the end also. Maria. She's um. That wasn't on your list. She's like in the Maria. last chapter. Yeah. I oh, I that's a different up. book. That's a, dis- oh, that's, that's a different book. Okay, that doesn't help. Yeah, so that's, what's that's, ne- a cha- that's a chapter for African treasure. So what's 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 next for Brody? What's he, what's he going to be into next? Brody and me are on a on a new adventure at the moment. Mm. We're about halfway through our next adventure, where he's he's up on the Somali border, enjoying mm-hmm. life as usual, fishing, diving, sailing, 
scuba diving uh, and and messing around. But now uh, Hassan has um, got some problems at home on Pemba Island. Mm. And uh, so Brody gets dragged in once again to try and uh, help out with the, with the next problem. I'm not sure what the book is going to be called. I've got a working title of African Maganga. Oh, nice. She's an African witch doctor. But um, I, I write blogs every uh, month, and I, I try to keep mm-hmm. my uh, readers up to date by, mm-hmm. um, by giving them a, a small excerpt or where I am in the book or how difficult the book is to re- write at the moment. You know how authors mm. have uh, crunches. I where know. We have, where we have uh, writer's block and we don't know which way the story is going, and then suddenly the door opens and off we go, and we're able to write two, 3,000 words without putting our heads up. So he's still alive and well, and he's still enjoying the dream. Mm. And uh, I wish and, I uh, could do that too. He'll, he'll yeah, come too. back and he I won't bring too my many pieces. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this one, no. this one, he'll, he'll get in trouble, but he always survives. He's a tough lad. Well, he has to because obviously he's going to be in a lot more than just this, right? So, for in the next one, who are you bringing back besides, of course, Brody? Who else is Ben Hassan? Uh, and she's got to come back. The, the, and Tabitha has got to come back. So who else is coming back? Well, I'm going to try. <laughs> I may, I I know, may terrible. bring Tabitha and uh, Gabriel out, out of the next book and bring them in the one after. But um, Hassan and Gumbau are in this. And also we, we're going back to Pemba Island. So um, we have some nice characters from the second book called African Treasure, which I left mm. on uh, Pemba Island, which uh, I'll bring back into this book. Um, which which will be great to see them again, and then they're, uh, they'll head off and have some adventures with Brody. So are you going to do another tour with um, Partners in Crime? Because they're the ones that keep me extremely busy. If you looked at my desk, I have another 45 interviews coming from them just alone. Forget about my everybody Lord. else. That, that they are. <laughs> I never thought when I retired from teaching, which I'm a reading and writing specialist, and I loved it, every minute of it, that I would become an author and an interviewer or whatever. But my mom was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, so I had to retire and make sure that she got proper oh. home care, which she did. You don't put your mother in a home. You take care yeah. of her and make sure everybody no. else does. So th- this is this. I love doing this. This is so much fun. It makes me feel like I'm doing something positive in the world, I hope. So where can everybody get all of your books and learn more about you? <laughs> um, my books can be found on my website, which is www.stevebreakerbooks.com. I'm also on uh, Facebook under African Ocean Adventures. Mm. I'm also on Instagram under African Ocean Adventures. And you can find me on Amazon. Uh, just, well, you can... just type in Steve Breaker or African Vengeance, and I will pop up. Well, you have to friend me on Facebook. I'm there. I think yeah, I'm there. I will, definitely. <laughs> definitely. This definitely. way I can, I can tell people what you're doing, and I can tell everybody that, you know, they should read your work. Seriously, because I'm glad I read this book, and then I said this this is really what – put in a lot of information about Africa and Kenya that I didn't know. So I'm learning a lot, too. That's why I love doing this. But what time is it there, by the way? <laughs> it's 6 o'clock in the evening here. Early morning for you, but 6 o'clock in the evening for me. It's 11 o'clock here almost. That's okay, 6 o'clock. Yeah. I, I have no idea where anybody is, and there was once where I did 
poor guy was at 2 o'clock in the morning. I had no idea. But seriously, <laughs> Steve, stay in touch, stay safe, and just be careful there. <laughs> seriously. I will but everybody, be. I will be. I've been here for 20 years, so I know I know a lot to do now. And thank you for doing this. This has really been a lot of fun. I enjoyed myself, and I hope that you enjoyed the interview, too. Everybody have a great day, and bye. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.